Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as the one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Um, Guys, I'm going to introduce uh, Cole. Why don't you come on up here? This is a passage he's going to be preaching on, and we're going to pray in a minute. Um, Does everybody know Cole? Yeah, Yeah, clap if you know Cole. All right. Uh, So we've just, our heart has really grown for developing leaders in our church and also developing leaders in our city. And so Cole is the first guinea pig who's gotten to be a small part of what that is like. And so um, he's doing, he's with us uh, for a few months in the summer. It's been an absolute pleasure so far. Uh, He's been learning lots. We've been learning lots. And so um, part of it is he gets, uh, we want to give him the the pleasure, privilege, and honor of preaching the word of God to you this morning, giving you the good news um, in, in hopes that this goes towards helping you discern and live fully in your kingdom calling. And so it's just an honor to have you preaching this morning, man. Can I pray for you? Can we pray together, guys? Can we pray for this guy? Yeah, we can. Let's do it. God, we thank you for Cole. We thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that there is good news, that Jesus, you are good news. You made everything good. And even though we turned our back on you, you came after us. That's so amazing. And so God, as Cole speaks the truth this morning, as he preaches from your word, would we all see that there's so much good news in the gospel? Give him confidence, give him a still mind, and, uh, and may grace abound in this room today. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Awesome, bro. So this morning, we're continuing in our uh, summer series of the practice of presence, uh, exploring different uh, spiritual disciplines that can help us grow closer to God and closer to each other. Uh, Last week was on the restoration of relationships, and this morning we're talking about the discipline of service. Um, This is a topic that, as many of you who have been here for a while know, is fairly deep in the heart of this church. We believe in the power of service, and we believe in the necessity of us as members of the kingdom of God serving where we are and how we can for the furtherment of the kingdom of God. But sometimes this topic isn't really, well, not sometimes, it's never really interesting. It's kind of like a boring topic. It's like, oh, you want me to 
set up tables or set up chairs or prepare snacks. Like, it's not a thing that we get excited about normally. We're not excited about the opportunity to give up our time and our effort for other people. Now, some of us are, and to those of you who are, that's good for you. But the rest of us, like, it's not something that is that grasps us. We often don't recognize that we can get spiritually fed by our service. We think of it just as something physical, something that, something that we do for others that drains us, that we pour effort into, but we forget that it's something that we can be fed by. We forget that service is something that is not only for others, but is for ourselves. And it, through it, we can grow closer in relationship with other people in the body and with God. You know, we, it's kind of interesting that it's in this list of spiritual disciplines because we probably don't think of it as a spiritual discipline at all for the reasons that I said. It's just something that we do. It's not something that gives us these God moments. It's not doesn't have the emotional and the spiritual value of prayer and worship. When we're sitting here or standing here doing worship, like people are getting excited, they're getting emotional. You, I look around and I see people raising their hands and closing their eyes and getting connected with God. Earlier when we had our prayer meeting, you see people who are connecting with God in that way. You see people who are speaking to and listening for the voice of God. You don't really get that in service. I haven't at least had many God moments as I am setting up a table or moving the boxes up in an elevator. It's just not something that we expect to happen. But I think this is a faulty view of what service is. I think we've limited it. I think we've broken and limited how God wants us to serve and view service. We only consider the physical things, and we limit how we can be affected by it. So this morning, I'm going to try and challenge a couple of these views. I'm going to try and challenge how we view service and how we view the necessity and the benefits of it for us and for everybody around us. So let's get started. Uh, the passage starts with, the end of all things is near. That's a weird thing to start with when it comes to service. I don't know if any or many of you grew up in the church, but does anybody know the Left Behind series? Yeah, they're really bad. Like, they're not good at all. But this is what it makes me think of. It makes me think of these horrible Christian books about the end of the world and the people who will be left behind when it happens, oh, and then they turn them into movies. Kirk and Nicolas Cage. <laughs> By the way, widely regarded as his worst movie. Like, that's bad. <laughs> that's really bad. Like, when we talk about the end of all things, it's, it's weird for us, because we don't believe it's actually going to happen. I go to bed every night, and I think that the sun is still going to rise the next morning. I've never had something in my life affect me to the point where I actually think anything is going to change. There are people that we see, though, who are like, we think of those guys standing on the corner with the sandwich boards, saying that the end of the world is coming, and we think that they're crazy because of it. 
Or we watch those shows about doomsday preppers who dig these massive bunkers in the desert that are a lot nicer than where any of us are living now. Yeah, it's really upsetting. <laughs> and they fill it with like thousands of rolls of toilet paper and canned vegetables and whatever they think is going, they're going to need when the end of the world happens. And we see these people, we read books about the end of the world, we watch movies, we see the people who believe it's going to happen and we think that they're ridiculous because of it. We think they're ridiculous because we don't believe it's going to happen. And when I read Peter writing that the end of all things is near, it makes me think of him as this crazy old guy standing on the street corner, yelling at everybody that the end of the world is coming. Or as him going out into the wilderness and like digging a hole, prepping for it. When Peter wrote this, they, early Christians thought that the end of the world was going to happen, though. It wasn't something that was uncommon. They all believed that the coming of Jesus was the beginning of the end. They expected Jesus to come at any moment. And because of that, they acted with a sense of urgency, believing that everything that they did might be the last thing that they did. There is no sense of like, oh, I can get to that tomorrow, because there might not be a tomorrow. And that's what's at the center of this when Peter is writing that the end of all things is near. He's saying, be urgent. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You don't know if you're even going to get a tomorrow. So act and serve like you might not. If there's something that you feel called to do, do it now. Because you don't know what's going to happen. So it's a little uncomfortable to look back on them writing these things, but we need to have that sense of urgency in our lives. Because a lot of us don't. I know I don't all the time. It's hard to get the motivation to do these simple things because we think that we have time. We think that we have endless amount of time to do it. But we, don't, but we might not. Peter continues in this passage uh, by saying, therefore be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. Uh, prayer requires discipline. Not sure if anybody knows that. Uh, might be news to people that it's not always the easiest thing to do. I struggle with it. A lot of people in this room probably struggle with it. Setting aside the time and the energy to talk to somebody who you can't physically see. It's hard and it takes effort. And Peter's saying to discipline yourself for this because it's important. It's urgent that we do this. Now, my topic isn't prayer today, so I'm going to leave that up to Jamie, who's doing that later. But I just want to say, tie prayer into the topic for today and say that your prayers are an act of service. It's not just an individual thing. It's not just something that you do for yourself in your own time. It's something that you can do to serve God and to serve others. When you come before God and you pray, you're not just entering into that, you're serving him. Service isn't just about giving somebody something that they don't have or providing for a need that somebody has. Sometimes service is just being there, giving them your time and your effort and your energy and your attention. That's all it takes. And when you pray for somebody else, you're also serving them in that. You're entering into that relationship and saying, let me bring your needs before God. 
and let me bring God here. So when you pray, don't just treat it as something individual, something that you can do in your own time or not do in your own time, but serve people with it, serve God with it, enter into that relationship. Later on in this passage in verse 10, Peter writes that, like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with gifts, with whatever gift each of you has received. So like how prayer is a gift of service and we may not always think of it, there's also a massive list of spiritual gifts that were given in the Bible. And using any one of those for the benefit of the kingdom of God or another person is also an act of service. Peter's actually talking here about spiritual gifts. He's talking about exhortation, that's not one of them, healing, prayer, leadership, speaking, apostleship, the gift of tongues, and the list continues to go on. I don't have all of them written in front of me, but it's something that we believe strongly here. We believe that every person in this room, every Christian, every person who's a part of the church has been given gifts by God, has been given special talents and abilities and spiritual gifts to be used for the kingdom. God has given us these things and he wants us to use them. If we, if we take it and all we do is we hold on to it and never actually use it, then what are we doing? Nothing is the correct answer to that question. Some of us, we acknowledge that we have these gifts. We get to a point where it's like, people tell us that we have these gifts and all we do is we hold on to it like, cool, that's nice. I'm just gonna keep this right in front of me and be excited that I have this, be excited and I'm gonna tell people that I have this because it makes me feel good. But we never actually use it. You know, we put it on our shelves like a little trophy, but what good is a trophy other than to tell people about something that you've done in the past? If you're not using your gifts to better your abilities and better your relationship with God, then you're not using them at all. It's just sitting there rotting and gathering dust. If we're not using them, we're wasting them. God has given each and every one of us these gifts so we can use them in service. Service is the using of these spiritual gifts. Using them in service to each other is an act of good stewardship. We've been entrusted with these things. They're something special. They're not something that can just be taken and thrown away. They have value. And if you're not using it, then it's a waste. While I've been here over the past couple of months, I've gotten to know a lot of people, and I've gotten to see a lot of people here use their spiritual gifts in this way. There are people here who are gifted with intercession, evangelism, helps, discernment, pastorship, and they know this and they're using it. They're leaning into these gifts because they know that God has blessed them with them. And God has blessed them with these gifts in order to bless others. This is a community where we value these things. And we believe that everybody here should value these things because they're important. Going back to verse eight though, 
Peter starts to explain how we are to put these gifts into service. He writes, Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love carries a multitude of sins. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, because everything must start with love. Everything. It's not just like a phrase that he puts in there. Peter actually believes that everything must start with love in the Christian faith. It's kind of an echo of Paul here who writes in 1 Corinthians, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. If I serve on logistics, or serve in Kids City, or I'm a part of Connections, or I'm on the worship team, or if I stand up here today in front of you and speak to you without love, then I am nothing. Every act of service that we do must come from the love that God has shown us. If we're doing it for another reason, then all we're doing is serving ourselves. We might feel like we're bestowing a gift on somebody, but if we're doing it out of selfish reasons, then we're not doing anything for them. We're just doing it for ourselves. We're looking to gain praise. We're looking to gain anything else other than service. Service is not for ourselves, but it's always for the person in front of us. It's not something that we have and do in order to gain popularity. It's not something that we do to make people like us. It's something that we do to bless other people. Peter doesn't just write that we must serve out of love, but in verse 9 he writes that we should be hospitable to one another without complaining. This statement, this command, is not an extension of the command, or is not something new. It's an extension of the command to maintain love. Because being hospitable without complaining is what love looks like. <coughs> if you love someone or something, then you're not going to complain about serving them. If you're complaining, then what you're saying is that you're more in love with yourself and your own time than you are with them. There are days when I'm done school or I'm done work and I get home and all I want to do is just relax. I want to sit down, I want to open a bag of chips, I want to put on Netflix, I want to do something, anything other than deal with people. And then there are days when I do that and the phone rings or somebody comes to my door or I get a message and somebody asks for something. And in those moments, it can be hard to be loving, I can tell you that the first thoughts that come to my mind are not always very loving towards the other person. Uh, it's often thoughts of, why are you calling me? Do you not know that this is my time? I've worked hard. I've put in my time for the day, and now it's my time to relax. You're infringing on my space. But this isn't what love looks like. 
Love looks like putting yourself aside in that moment and recognizing that the person in front of you or on the other end of the phone call or the message is somebody who is loved by God, somebody who was created by God and because of that deserves to be served and loved by you. Love looks like not complaining. Selfishness is complaining. It's complaining about the other. It's complaining about what you have to do for them. It's complaining that they are even have the audacity to step into your life because you're more important in that moment. We might not always recognize that we're saying this, but we are. It might be hard to hear because we feel like we, we deserve our time. We deserve this space around us where people can infringe on. But it's in that space where we're taking control and not allowing God to take control. When we create this bubble saying, you can't come in here because this is me. We're not even allowing God to come in there. It's just for us. And that's selfish. You know, there are times when it's right and beneficial to step away and take time for yourself. But if that becomes more important to you than serving God and serving other people, then you have to check yourself. Check your motivations of why you're doing that. Selfishness sees service as a job that has to be done. See something that we don't want to do. Love sees service as a chance to show blessing on another person. Selfishness sees the other person as a burden on our life, a burden on our time and our opportunity to do things that we want. Love sees the other person as a blessing. The fact that we get to serve them, we're not just blessing them, but they're blessing us in that moment. We get the opportunity to do this. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. We get to serve people. We get to help people. We get to show God to other people. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. It's our natural default to worry about ourselves. Well, that doesn't mean it's right. The thing that is right is to act out of love, to see the other person as loved, and to love them by serving them in the ways that they need. This is hard. It's not always easy, and it infringes on the space that we want to claim for ourselves, but that's a good thing because it allows God to enter. Now, there's this little phrase in verse 8 which is strange. Um, love one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Does anybody know what that means? Because I don't. Well, actually, there are a couple of ways that we can read this. Uh, I'm not fully sure what it means, but there are a couple of ways that we can look into this. He appear, Peter appears to be referencing Proverbs 10 in which it's written that hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. But whose offenses does it cover? 
Whose sins are covered by love? Are my sins covered? Or are the offenses of other people covered? And it's both of these. When we look at the passages together, I think we can see it functioning on two levels. On the first level, when we act out of God's love, love for the other person, then we're less likely to sin ourselves. It covers our sins by stopping us from doing them. Uh, When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He responds with, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So the basis of God's love and will and plan for the world is love. If we're acting out of God's love, then we're not going to break the law because the law is love. If we're listening to God and we're searching to be loving to the world and to him, then we're not going to offend him. We're not going to offend others because we're going to be loving them. Now, this looks different in many ways, but if the basis of our actions is out of genuine God-given love for the other person, then we're not going to cross that boundary of sin. It's going to be removed from us. Now, this isn't like a selfish love or a physical love because that will cause us to sin. It's God's love. The love that is focused entirely on the other person and not on the self. We often love for selfish reasons, but God's love stops us from doing that because it looks at the other person and sees what they need and how we can serve them On the other side of things, love can also cover the sins of the other person. I'm sure many of you know the passage, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, et cetera, et cetera. But that passage ends with, and it keeps no record of wrong. When we love another person, we're not keeping a tally of all the things that they've done against us. We're not keeping a record of all the wrongs that they've committed us. Because when we do, we're focus, once again, we're focusing on ourselves. When we're keeping a record, we're thinking, these are all the ways that you've hurt me. These are all the ways that I've been affected. God's love doesn't do that. It doesn't hold things against other people for what they've done. It looks at them and it, said, and it looks past these things, saying, I know that you've done wrong. I know that what you've done has hurt me, but I also know that God loves you. I also know that you are more than the things you have done against me. You are a person who is created and loved by God, and as a result of that, you deserve to be served and loved in return. Our love, or God's love, covers the wrongdoings and the offenses of the other person. It doesn't keep them. It looks past these things, saying it does not matter what you have done because you're a person created by God. That being said, our love does not get rid of these sins. We can't do that on our own. There's only one love that actually covers and gets rid of these sins. 
There's only one love that can go beyond just looking past these and actually remove them, and that's Jesus' love. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just do so to cover these sins, to not look at them anymore. When Christ's love enabled him to come down and be incarnate and go to the cross, it removed these sins. His is the only love that can do that. The love of Jesus has completely covered and removed our sins. It takes away our offenses. Our love can't go to this level, but it can look past them. It can look at the other and not focus on the things that they've done wrong. It can look at the other as somebody who is loved by Christ. It looks at the other as somebody who Jesus died for and whose sins have been removed. Getting back to the passage, uh, we're going to go to verse 11. Peter writes here about how we should use our gifts in service. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength, of God, by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, here, Peter has created two general groups of spiritual gifts. Uh, he's put one as speaking gifts, gifts that involve words and uh, blessing the other person in that way. And he also includes acting gifts, gifts that require action. In creating these two categories, Peter has covered all gifts. There's gifts that involve words and gifts that involve actions. And all of them have been given by God and must be used for the glory of God. It's not just that these gifts come from God, but also that we must rely on God every step of the way in order to use and develop them. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. It's not whoever speaks must do so speaking their own words to bless another person. Our words come from God, but they must in order to be service. Whoever serves, whoever acts, must do so with the strength that God supplies. It's not that whoever acts must do so based on their own strength. When we do this, when we rely on our own words and our own strength, then we only have a limited amount. This is when we get burnt out. This is when we get tired and don't want to serve anymore because we are unable to. Because our strength and our words are extremely limited. They can't take us the rest of the way. We can get to a point, but it's all based on us. All of the weight of our service is on our shoulders. But when we rely on God's strength, when we rely on God's words in order to bless other people, then none of the weight is on us. We don't need to carry that because God's carrying it for us. None of this comes from us. It all comes from God. If I came up here and spoke to you with my own ideas and based on my own abilities and my strengths, then I would not be serving God with my words. I'd be serving myself. 
If someone is serving on the worship team or in Kid City based on their own abilities and strengths and desire to do so and be recognized for what they are doing, then they're not serving God. They're serving themselves. They're performing for themselves, hoping that people will praise them for what they're doing. Now, there are some places where this is easier. People who are in front of people um, who are in a more visible position. And when we rely on our own strengths, we're hoping that we will be in front and that God will be behind us and that people will see us before they see God. But this isn't service and this isn't beneficial for anybody. There's an artist that I follow who wrote in a piece once, our hearts are idle factories I was reminded of it this morning when I woke up intimately aware of my desire for God to bless this silver piece I'm writing about elevating Jesus so that whoever sees it might elevate me. How often do we do this? We pray for God to bless our service and our works, but secretly we're just hoping that other people will bless us. We're hoping and praying that God will make us better at what we're doing so that other people will see it, and praise us for it. We like to receive praise. We like to have people tell us that we're doing a good job at what we're doing. And this feels good and it's validating and it enables us to move forward. And I'm not saying that praise and encouragement is a bad thing because it helps us to continue. What I am saying is that when we search for praise before God's praise, then we're doing it wrong. If we're searching for people to tell us that we did a good job before they recognize that God is responsible for what we did, then we're doing it for ourselves. I can tell you that I'm not up here today in order to have people tell me how good of a job I'm doing. If I was, I probably would not be talking about service. I would be giving a message on a different topic that's a lot more pleasing to the people in front of me. We don't serve in order for, to tell people how good we are. We serve in order to tell people how good God is. Serving is not about us. It's not about what we can offer. Serving is about using the gifts and the words and the strength that God has given us for the glory of God and the benefit of others. When we serve, when we serve God and we serve others, we're called to rely on the gifts and the strength that God has given us. And when we do so, we bring glory to God in everything that we do. All of the glory in our service must go to God because everything that we do in service comes from God. It's not from ourselves. There's another way that we can get distracted and self-focused in our service. You know, we're not always focused on receiving glory. We're not always focused on telling people how, on others telling us how good we are. Sometimes we just get caught up in how hard it is to serve. Uh, we're given a story in the Gospel of Luke of a time when Jesus was traveling and he was invited into the home of a couple people who were in the community. Uh, Martha was a lady in the community, and she invited Jesus in. 
It was the expectation of her culture that she would do so. Everybody was traveling between towns at that point, and it wasn't safe to sleep outside or in the inns or any of that. So it was the responsibility of people to invite others into their home, to prepare food for them, to give them a place to clean and rest. It was expected of her. To not do so would be wrong. To not do so would be to be countercultural. So this is what she does. She does. She hears that Jesus is coming through, and she invites him into her home. And she starts cleaning and cooking and preparing things, doing what is expected of her as a Palestinian woman. And then as she's doing so, as she's preparing food and bringing it out to the people, she sees something that she doesn't expect. She sees her sister sitting on the ground. I'm sure we get this feeling a lot. I know I have in school where you're working on a group project with somebody and then you recognize that they're not actually doing anything. You're like, but I'm doing all the work. We're supposed to be in this together. The expectation is that we're working on this together for something. So when Martha comes in and she sees Mary sitting on the ground, she's not happy about that. She's understandably upset. She's been doing all this work as her sister does nothing. And she just sits there. So then she goes up to Jesus and she's like, do you not see what I'm doing? Do you not see all of the work that I've done for you and for everybody in this room? And here my sister is just sitting here doing nothing. Can you tell her to help me? It's her job. And she expects Jesus to say, you know what, you're right. It is her job, and we should be serving and helping one another in this way. Mary, get up and go cook. But he doesn't say this. He doesn't respond how everybody expects him to. Instead, he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Often when we read or hear this response, we get the idea that somehow physically serving is less important than spiritually serving. We get the idea that moving things, setting up things, preparing things isn't as fulfilling as just sitting and taking. And this is somewhat correct. Jesus tells us that Mary has chosen better because she is focusing on Jesus. But the problem with Martha is not her actions or her service. These are all good things. The problem with Martha is her attitude and her distraction. Her serving has caused her to be distracted from who she's serving. She forgot that she invited Jesus into her home. She forgot that she invited the Son of God, this rabbi who she admired. She forgot that she was serving him. And she just remembered that she was serving herself in that moment. The problem with Martha is that she forgot who she was serving. She had no love in that moment. She wasn't present. The series that we're in, as many of you know, is called The Practice of Presence. Part of the reason for this is that spiritual disciplines, and especially service, actually require you to be present. You can't be distant when you're doing it. If you desire to experience joy and growth in Christ in your service and your spiritual disciplines, 
then you have to be present. You have to be in the moment recognizing what you are doing and who you're doing it for. Martha's problem in this moment was not that she was serving Jesus, it's that she forgot that she was serving Jesus. When you are absent or distracted, then you fail to see the value and necessity of what you're doing. You fail to see that God is allowing and enabling you to do this for him and for others. Ultimately, service is all about God because it's only through him that we're even able to do any of this. At the end of the passage, Peter writes, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. You see, it's not even that God is glorified through what we do. When we do something, God is glorified through Jesus. Peter writes this because he saw it happen. He walked with Jesus and he talked with Jesus and he experienced Jesus doing everything that he is writing to the church. He saw it come to completion in the acts of Jesus Christ. He's telling people to maintain constant love because he saw Jesus maintain constant love for people. He's telling them to be good stewards of God's gifts and to serve one another with these gifts because he witnessed Jesus do this already. He's telling them to rely on the strengths and the words of God because he already saw Jesus do this in his ministry. There's nothing new that he, in what he's saying. Everything that he's telling them, he's already seen done. He's already seen it come to fulfillment in the actions and the words of Christ. And he's finally saying to do these things so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus because he continually saw Jesus give glory to God in everything that he did. It was never for himself. It was always for God. Jesus became fully present in order to serve and bring healing to the world. His service required that he be present for us and that we should be present for him. We can only serve because Jesus first served us. That's the bottom line of this. The reason that service is important, the reason that using the gifts of God and loving one another is important is because it's already been done for us. All we're doing is emulating what has happened to us, what Jesus did for us. There's nothing new that we're doing. We're not doing anything our own because it's already been done. We're just, we just get the opportunity to be a part of that. Nothing is possible outside of what Jesus has and is doing for, in, and through us. So serve people. Serve people with love and urgency, recognizing that by God's grace you have been given gifts to be used. Let your service not rely on your own strength or your own words, or abilities, or desires, but entirely on what God has and is giving you. Find out what your gifts and your talents are and lean into them. Explore them. 
Figure out how you can use those things for the service of the kingdom of God. God has given us the opportunity to love God and to love our neighbor by using the gifts that God has given us to serve each other and serve the kingdom of God. Serving is not a burden. It's not something that we have to do. It's a blessing, and it's something that we get to do. We get to serve because Christ first served us. So let your lives and your actions be a reflection of what has already happened. Let it be a reflection of what Jesus has already done in and for you. So we're now going to enter a time of reflection. We're going to reflect on what Jesus Christ's service has done for us. We get the opportunity here to come to the table. On the night before he was betrayed, Jesus gathered his disciples around him, and he took bread, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When Jesus did this, he was serving them physically. He was providing them with bread and with wine in order to serve them. But he was also showing them how he was going to serve them. He was showing them of the service that he was going to do when he would give himself up for them. So when you're ready, step out and come up and experience the service of Christ. Experience what he has already done for you and is doing in you. Allow Jesus to serve you today. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.